Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective, and we're ready for a brand new week of excellent content. But unfortunately, we have to start things off on a sad note. Um, if you recall, uh, Friday, I believe it was, news broke out that the actor who played Black Panther uh, passed away. And this got me thinking a lot about the topics, seeing what people had to say about how that movie affected them. That's, I think, probably his most notable movie. You would think I would have his name on hand when uh, talking about him, but that would require me to prepare for the show. And I have committed myself against that for the purpose of giving you something organic every time. Uh, on a serious note, this, this topic of black power and individualism, what does it mean? Um, what, is, the, is there a time and place for a group of people to galvanize and say we need to self-identify as members of this group in order to deal with a problem? And I think arguably the answer is yes, but to what end? I always like to ask, what is all of this leading towards? To what is this integrated? What is the end goal? And I think the end goal, no matter who you are or who your, who your ancestors are, what your features are, the end goal needs to be individualism or else it's all for naught. You're not going to end the oppression successfully with longevity. You're only going to find a world with more problems um, and endless problems. You know, uh, this is, we are broadcasting from the Ayn Rand Center UK, and um, I was always inspired by Ayn Rand, uh, to put it lightly, and one of the ways that she inspired me in my formative years was when I would hear her say things like, like calling herself a mongrel American. In one of her uh, Ford Hall Forum lectures, she talked about how all these different groups are springing up around America to clamor for favors from the lobby system. But, you know, but what about just the average, quote, mongrel American? And Ayn Rand said, I'm one too, by the way, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but she referred to herself as a mongrel American. Now, technically, I think she was Russian, part of the, you can call her the Russian community, the Jewish Russian community. And this was at a time when the Jews in Europe were definitely being persecuted. And Ayn Rand had every opportunity to kind of navel gaze and to talk about how this feels from a Jewish perspective. But instead, she had her sights on the end goal, individualism or death. And that's something that always inspired me, um, among many other things that Ayn Rand provided. Now, if you sat through this opening monologue, you're in for a reward, because I'm about to introduce a man who has every reason to brag about his ancestors. They actually invented not only science and philosophy, but by extension, all of Western civilization. A man from Greece itself, who is from Athens, and if a movie was made about Aristotle, this man could play Aristotle's friend, Steve, underrepresented, <laughs> under, undercredited, underrated uh, friend of Aristotle, Steve, who actually did most of the work. No one ever gives him credit. Please welcome Nikos Sotarikapoulos. Hi, everyone. Thank you very much. So, so yeah, we're really sad with the, with the death of Chadwick Boseman a couple of days ago, and we... We thought that we talk. Uh, we, we thought we talk about the film Black Panther, but then we thought let's talk about the issue of black power itself. So many people said that actually, if this film was made not not only with Black Panther, quite often with the politics of what we call black power, a lot of people are saying, and they're right. If you just switched white for black, we would consider this black uh, sorry white nationalism. And there is such a thing as black nationalism. So the first big question 
that comes forward is the following one. When we talk about figures like Malcolm X or like the Black Panthers Party, they are, to put it very simply, what the Guok Brigade today would say, problematic. So with elements of anti-white sentiment, with elements of uh, an open white, sorry, open black supremacy, uh, weird links with anti-Zionists or even with, with, uh, with people that today would consider or even then Nazis. But here's the, here's the, 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 the detail. The detail is that indeed at that time, the black community was severely, was experiencing severe injustice and persecutions from the police. So how did, for example, the Black Panthers uh, become relevant to their communities? By armed patrol of the streets so as to protect the members of the community from the police. And by the way, here's a hint to our leftist friends, try and do some research on where most of gun control comes from, you will find that there's a lot of anti-black sentiment in arms control. And in most regulations, it's very easy to find some racist undertones specifically from the progressive end. But anyway, closing the parenthesis. So here's a big issue. When a community has been facing this injustice, is it justified to come together in a national, in, in, in a almost tribal outlook and say, look, all of us are persecuted. So all of us come together and all of us, our politics is based on the group. And for example, with the Black Panthers and with other elements of the Black Power movement, you could see events of official segregation or not segregation, of exclusion. So for example, this is an event for only Blacks. But because historically this was a time of injustice, they get a pass. And the question is, is this pass justified or not? My initial reaction is not, but let's see what Rag has to say. I mean, uh, you know, you said that today's woke brigade would consider Malcolm X problematic, but that's obviously not true because Malcolm X's type of philosophy prevails and enjoys a seat at the table of woke politics. Because when they say white people, they mean capitalism. That's ultimately what it boils down to. You can be the blackest 100% African black man. And if you're pro-capitalism, pro-individualism, you'll be called all types of horrible names. Like you're not really black. Um, you know, like you'll be compared to like a slave who begs his master to, to, uh, to, to keep him a slave. Uncle um, Tom. An uncle Tom. I didn't want to say it, but you're obviously the fight fiery feisty Greek with, with the uncontrollable tongue. Now, with that image in mind, let me uh, let me uh, sort of push back a little bit. Now, arguably, there is a time to say this particular group of people are being oppressed, and we need to galvanize. We need to identify as this group of people. You know, like the 19th century, the Jews uh, looked around Europe and said, "Look, no matter how much we try to assimilate, no matter how we just try to act like average Joes, they won't let us. So let's call ourselves Jews." and leave Europe. That was the Zionist movement. I mean, there's probably a lot more um, variety in the sort of theory that went into it. And that was kind of the problem from the start. Euron Brook has a lecture, I think called something like the rise and fall of Israel. And it starts with the Zionist movement. And I think he points, points out in it that from the start, there was no clear end goal. You know, what is the end goal of Zionism? Is it to be have a socialist utopia? Is it to have an ethno 
state type place? Is it like, what is it? Of course, what they needed and what everyone needs today is in, an individualistic, capitalistic um, country with rule of law there to protect the rights of the individual. And then you can forget about the racial element of it all. But unfortunately, that's, that's on nobody's radar these days. Those days are in the past, sadly, the, the founding fathers are only ghosts today. There's almost nobody advocating for individualism. Um, but if you do have individualism as the end goal, the question remains, is there ever a time to galvanize as an oppressed group? And I think, yes, the argument can be made, yes, with that end goal in mind. So if you're um, living in, in, uh, you know, in the United States in the 1950s, in the South, or even in the North, I mean, I like to remind people the lobby system, which came from government regulation, it hurt black communities in the North. So obviously the Jim Crow South is a, is a uh, blatant image of, of systematic racism. But what about the lobby system in the North when it's time to pave the roads? You know, when the government assigns itself to pave roads rather than leaving it up to market forces. Who do you think the government's going to give better roads to job opportunities downtown? White neighborhoods predominantly or black neighborhoods? In other words, which community do you think has better connections in the government? Obviously, there, um, it shouldn't be up to who's got better connections. But if it is going to be that in the early 20th century, it's obviously going to be uh, predominantly white neighborhoods. So uh, again, um, I'll repeat myself. The question is, if individualism and capitalism is the end goal, then is there the argument made in the meantime to say black power and meaning get, you know, stop oppressing black people? And the argument can be made that yes, um, there is a time to temporarily say, you know, I'm a black man and I am grouping together with other blacks to uh, push back against this oppression, to call attention to it and to end it. And then we can, um, and then we can live under in a liberal, a liber uh, liberated, liberty-based uh, society, and ultimately assimilate. You know, ultimately assimilate. That's kind of my, um, that's my sort of bridge that I uh, present people with. That's often a bridge too far for many people. I think ultimately the end goal should be assimilation because. As nice as it is to be able to say, oh, this tradition has been in our family for a million years. How does that benefit anybody's life? And when you uh, fall in love with somebody that you want to marry and they're not part of the tribe, what, who does it benefit for you to walk away from that opportunity or any other opportunity? If you want to leave the country you were born in, go live somewhere else, why, sh why should you stay in the town you grew up? Why should you stay in the country you grew up? There's really no reason uh, every individual should pursue the life that they want. I just gave you a lot to respond to, so go ahead. No, uh, it was so interesting what you said about uh, Zionism and about uh, which is which. I think it. it the, so the issue is on the level of self-protection. Yes, it makes sense to organize based on what is the persecuted group. Obviously, if you're a Jew in the 1930s Europe, it doesn't make much sense. You know, uh, it, it makes much sense to have self-defense teams and all that stuff because you are the persecuted in an environment of anomie. But here's the thing, though, and that's why I don't get why Malcolm X gets a pass, or maybe I do know. So, for example, last week we saw LeBron James in a picture which I'm happy to pay half a month's salary that it was staged. You know, he was, he was reading Malcolm X during his workouts. Now, here's, here's, here's what was Malcolm X's 
uh, nation of Islam, some of its key points as you can find it online. Black people are the original people of the world, whatever that means. White people are devils, blacks are superior, and the demise of the white race is imminent. I'm he was being here. symbolic. He was being metaphorical. I'm joking. Right. I don't he know why. Symbolic. He was metaphorical. No, well, listen. Okay. Text. You can finish your point. I didn't mean to interrupt. I no, no. I, I, was, I was about to, to say, yeah. Mm -hmm. they, they're going to give us exactly this line. No, don't, don't take it. Don't take it literally. No, I don't know if they would, but they, they would say, I mean, people defending him would say, look, in his context, he was, that's what he saw. And I would defend Malcolm X even more than that because I have the tools to say, it, uh, Malcolm X living 100 years after Frederick Douglass, you can see when each one of them gained the opportunity to study what was available to them, what was presented to them. Frederick Douglass was still living with the remnants of the Enlightenment. And Frederick Douglass actually named himself Douglass after a Scottish, Scottish poem. Isn't that beautiful? The Scottish Enlightenment was still uh, reaching a freed slave in the 18 whatever uh, decade it was that he gained his freedom. And 100 years later, roughly, Malcolm X also grew up with in the midst of, of systematic racism and a, and a lot of race, voluntary racism around him, meaning people, private citizens being racism, being racist towards him. He went to college or he opened books. And what did he see there? Socialism, uh, collectivism, the individual can't truly be objective, you know, critical race theory or whatever it was called at that time. I mean, this is what, this is why philosophy matters. So I would sort of even stick up for him in a way by saying like, well, what do you expect him to like um, to discover objectivism before Ayn Rand is done inventing it? I mean, this, you know, the, 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 uh, the I mean, Atlas Shrugged wasn't even published till 1957. By then, Malcolm X, I think, is already um, like a cooked adult. He's already I'm, in the nation of Islam. But mm -hmm. here's here's the thing, though. It wasn't the only option at the same time. For example, do you know who was really pissed off with Malcolm X, by the way? Martin Luther King? Yes, and many of the leaders of the civil rights movement because they said, look, we want assimilation. And if you, if you do some research, they say, oh, you know what? There is a middle road. And the middle road, they called it something like balanced and humane ethnocentrism. Which again, having done research with the alt-right, these terms sound a bit weird to me. Because they're saying, oh, no, no, we're not saying we don't, we're not going to hurt anyone. Just... You know, some ethnocentric like Israel, you know, you people like Israel as opposed to us who we don't like. So why do you support Israel and not why not why not have a white ethnostate? So what I'm saying is that if we cut some slack to these views, actually I think this is an act of racism. Here's why. Because you consider that that person cannot know any better. So why, for example, don't we cut some slack to Marcuse? Why don't we cut some slack to white leaders who, okay, they didn't feel the oppression of that Malcolm X had experienced. But again, if you're such a great guy and you're such a leader, I don't accept the, the excuse that there was no other way. And the question is this, has this movement, has the movement of black nationalism contributed to a better life for black people or has it made it worse? Depends who you ask. <laughs> yes. Depends who you ask. I mean, there are people, I mean, who would they would see a nation of Islam man with a bow tie and a suit who has a purpose, who has a sort of integrated worldview. We, we, we might call it misintegrated, but still a, a purpose and a function versus a sort of aimless um, 
you know, black guy that doesn't like really have a philosophy or anything like that. They'll say, yeah, yeah, see, black liberationism is good for us. I mean, a philosophy is better than no philosophy or something like that. Like a religion is better than pure nihilism or or just sort of a, a, a floating um, aimlessness in a void. I mean, it's, uh, it's ultimately a question of uh, where are we headed? Are we headed towards individualism or are we headed towards collectivism as an end in itself? So I think uh, when it comes to like Israel, the extent to which they are successful comes from their enlightenment values, comes from their um, elements of individualism, of capitalism. It sort of... Um, the elements of Israel that are sort of in contrast with their sort of stated mission, which is, you know, a home for the Jews. It's, it's the fact that it's Greek. I like to say, you know, the, the, the ancient Hebrews fended off a Greek invasion, but today what makes Israel a place worth defending morally is the, the fact that they're Greek, that they brought Western civilization into the region. Um, and um, the, and the problems with Israel come from the contradictions come from the collectivism comes from people saying that, no, uh, that, that the Jews living amongst each other is an end in itself. I don't think that's a recipe for success and it's not gonna benefit anyone, not whites, not blacks, not the Irish, not the Greeks. Well, yeah, and anyway, I'll say it anyway. I don't think that anyone is going to benefit by these kind of voices becoming the dominant voices. It's, it's guaranteed because you, there is no chance you can have one kind of ethnocentrism quote without another sign of ethnocentrism and the end result is going to be a society where we're all segregated in our lines and in our ethnic boxes and there can't be a most boring world to live well the world that i'm i'm contained to what is perceptually oh here's a greek here's some uh, gyros i love these things right i get tears in my eyes when i think mm. about greece i don't want this to be the final horizon of my, of my life. And the same happens with any kind of tribalism, ethnic, cultural, whatever. And indeed, this community has, the black community has experienced severe injustices. Happy to go to the barricades with them. I'm not going to the barricades with Malcolm X because if Malcolm X wins, tomorrow is not gonna be much better. I don't want to, I don't want to substitute one kind of collectivism for one, for another time of, type of collectivism. You know when is the time that two types of collectivism are going to clash in the U.S. elections? Have you decided who is worse? I mean, I keep saying like Trump needs to go because uh, what he represents in the long term is just an absolute nightmare. But then like I see the uh, riots and I'm like, you know what, maybe like Trump's not so, like even though like Trump isn't doing anything about the riots either way. But but it, it's basically a battle of, of symbols. It's like you either you're voting for the riots or you're voting for an authoritarian in the big picture. It's like, well, which is worse? I don't know. Like, can I just can we just cancel the presidency? <laughs> we're all we're all on the same boat. And here comes the Ayn Rand Center UK to the rescue. So in around 40 minutes, the Ayn Rand Center UK is hosting a discussion with two prominent American objectivists, Andy Bernstein and Bob Stubblefield. Not on who is better to vote for, but we reframe the narrative. Who is worst to who should so basically who should you vote against? And each one of these again prominent American objectives are going to take one side of the argument, and someone else is going to take the other side of the argument. I don't know if we're going to vote at the end, but I think it's it's a it's going to be a very good discussion, 
and it shows our predicament that it's it's as you said it's almost impossible to decide which collectivism is worst and the same i would say is the case with ethnic and racial collectivism i don't like white nationalism i don't like black nationalism but anyway so tune in uh, on facebook live iron center uk is the page and you can follow the discussion beyond the traditional way through the middle Raka. i've got i've got a thought that occurred to me recently and maybe you agree um the reason i think we we we're so sensitive when we hear white people talking about galvanizing and obviously the phrase white power is is much more upsetting than any other um obviously there's the historical context but in another respect average white guys in america they're kind of like the republican party and i don't mean just because they vote Republican and that the Republican party is full of white guys. I mean, like people in America that have not uh, galvanized as part of any group, they're sort of like the last hope for individualism. And to see them turning to collectivism means like that's our, our last hope is gone. Similar to the Republican party with all of its faults, with all of its uh, lack of principles, it's still sort of the last hope for capitalism when compared to the other major parties. So that's I'm that's why. About that, because I don't know, I don't know which group, if it makes sense to count this way, holds the more collectivistic, uh, collectivistic views. But uh, I get what you say about the Republican Party, and and again, this is why I'm a, a bit more bitter with with black nationalists because the seed of the good ideas was there. Again, Dr. King. That was a man with enlightened, even more socialist voices like Debois, for example. They didn't like this idea of ethnic segregation. So it shouldn't have gone that way. It should have, it could have gone a different way, but it didn't end, uh, and that's, uh, and that's sad. But anyway, we're, we are another day. Yeah, we'll continue and this another time. There's a lot more we'll to say. About this. We'll continue another time. And again, in 35 minutes, join the Iron Center of UK on this discussion. And thank you, by the way, thank you, uh, my Greek friend, for uh, reaching your hand across the ocean and uh, telling us Americans how to handle our racial problems. We appreciate it. <laughs> yes, I'm Greek-splaining to you, and yeah. <laughs> uh, despite, beside the usual run-splaining that we do. Thank you very much, everyone. See you soon.